mamas gave us till we couldn't shake no more. We got down on our knees when cancer knocked at our door. We got kicked in the ass. We gave lots of sass. Oh, when it rains, it falls into this half full glass. Oh, thanks, cancer. Thanks, cancer. Thanks, cancer. Victories in the dark. Hi, I'm Mimi Hall. And I'm Leanna House. And you're listening to Thanks Cancer. We are two cancer friends. And we're not doctors. We're not nurses. We're not shrinks. We're not psychics. We're not shamans. No, and cancer's pretty hard, too. I mean, cancer's a little hard. You might hear some swearing words in the episode. And we hope you'll enjoy it. This is the podcast we wish that we had when we were going through our treatment. Hey, Leanna. Hi, Mimi. Hey, so what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about cancer choices. It's interesting because before I got cancer, I didn't feel like there were going to be a lot of choices at all. I felt like when you, when someone told you that you got cancer, they told you what to do. Yes. Once you get diagnosed, like you have a protocol, you have doctors and nurses policing your every step. Right. As gods. As gods. Mm -hmm. Like telling you, telling you what to do. Right. Um, From the playbook. Yes. I Mm -hmm. mean, and the weight of history, but a lot of times, like you have more choices than you think you would going into it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. And I guess I sort of come at this as someone who's always followed the rules too. You know, I always sort of yeah. took, did very well in the Iowa tests. You oh, know what yeah. I mean? And like I did those SATs and I, I, I crossed all of the T's and dotted all the I's and I still do. In I'm my a life. very good test taker. Right. So I guess we're people who tend to like comply. Right. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, um, you were the one who brought up this topic today of cancer choices. So it's been because I was at a monthly seminar at the hospital, which is a lot of doctors and nurses getting together to discuss psychosocial issues. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of surprised because usually this type of seminar is done, you know, to talk about treatments that worked or didn't work with a patient, you know, patient X who's 74 male and presented with, and it's all very clinical. But this Mm -hmm. is a monthly rounds that is very personal where they talk about how things made them feel because caregivers who are more aware of their own emotions Mm. are going to be better able to help the patients with their emotions. So there's an empathetic loop of some sort. Yes. Okay, cool. That's very cool to hear that. Is this Dana Farber that's doing it? Okay, very cool. It's like cutting edge of cancer resources that are out there for clinicians. Can you talk a little bit about how did this come about? Like how did this organization the symposium come about this is in memoriam of someone a young male who was diagnosed with advanced stage cancer and he died and his family donated money to the hospital to develop compassionate care wow that's like, amazing. That's an amazing dedication. To yes. Life. Wow. Like making a difference in the lives of these these doctors and nurses and giving them the resources and the opportunity to talk about psychosocial issues that come up in this very charged environment of cancer care. Right. And allows them a sense. I'm guessing it gives them a sense of discharge too, to be able to talk about this stuff too and to really speak. Yeah. About it 
in a way that you can't necessarily in rounds where it gets more clinical. Right. This is like, this is more of a, and it's not a support group, but like the doctors and nurses have the opportunity to talk. So this happens every month. And so you attended Mm -hmm. that today, just today? Yes. Okay. And it was, it was very interesting to see from the other point of view, having, you know, gone through this as a patient, to see from the other point of view, like how patients comply or don't comply with doctor's recommendations. Right. Because I guess you and I are fairly, I mean, I guess there was some dialogue, you know what I mean, with both of our treatments, but we kind of fell into the range of like complying. Yes. We're very good rule followers. Right. That's what I do for a living. Right. More or less me too. Yeah. (laughs) Making Uh, others follow the rules. Yeah. Yes. So they were talking about a case study of a patient not complying with treatment and what that does Mm. to the care team as they try to figure out the best way to help a patient. Mm-hmm. And they all, from the reception desk to the administrative staff, to the nurses, to the doctors, to the social workers, like, they're all talking to each other mm-hmm. about how we can best help this per- person get the type of care that they want and that they need. Like, how can we do best by this patient? And it was... It was an interesting point of view to have how the doctors feel when a patient won't comply with things when they think they know that they can treat something or alleviate it. And the the problem, not the problem, the the like interesting part of it is that this was a late stage cancer. So I don't know if this person was like stage four and they could do palliative care and like maybe make his life better or maybe it was like stage 3a and it's tipping point of right like, right so i don't know how bad it was yeah which um, is a big difference which right? is a big difference in cuz like, i'd you make a different choice do. personally yes yes for sure anyway so this uh, this patient wouldn't wouldn't do everything that the doctors told him to do and he had, you know, homelessness and bipolar and a bunch of other things going on. And so the doctors were trying to best carry out his wishes while also advocating for him to get help when he is not the best one to make choices about his treatment. Right. And like that is a very fine line to walk as you're trying to help someone figuring out what they want and, and what then, they need and what they need and then helping them get there then there's a bigger question too of and this is something that i'm sure that the doctors don't want to deal with but why keep this person alive yeah what someone, do they have to live for do they have children someone who do doesn't they want to have stay alive a job do they have alive. a family that wants to keep them alive do they have a family that they're creating a burden on i mean these are real questions that we don't want to deal with but trust me they come up for you when you yourself are sick trust me no matter how well off or not well off you are you do feel burdensome i'm sorry there's no other way of feeling sometimes when you get sick and well and it's you, just anyway these are, these are real things in, in these real are real ways. things like you do have to measure it out I mean I myself have felt like you know what if I indeed found out that I was so 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 sick 
that I'm, you know, now stage four. It's very, very bad. I'm not sure that I would take chemotherapy in all cases. In some cases, yes. In yeah. some cases, no. It just really depends. I mean, I I feel very strongly that there should be the pill option of, of suicide in right. the case of terminal cases. Right. And I feel very strongly that people in those types of situations should have the choice. Like, they are the only ones that get to decide if life is worth living for them. Like, who else can decide that for you? Unless you're, like, not in your right state of mind. Right. And who's to say, like, who's going to be in the right state of mind when you get a cancer diagnosis? No like, one. aren't all bets off? I mean, yeah, I was in a pretty healthy state of mind, I think. But I was pretty sick with cancer when I got my diagnosis. I was having bizarre dreams and portents. You know, I was sleepwalking, um, sleep talking, all sorts of, I was having night sweats. I mean, all sorts of odd things were going on. I was having mood swings. These were all functions of having cancer. Do you know what I mean? And I don't think that I was in my right mind. And it seemed like I was managing maybe 70% of my normal capacity. Do you know what I mean? So for someone who's truly challenged, for someone who's maybe off their meds when they need to be on them or whatnot, being down 30% with cancer could be a big deal. And I was only at stage 2B, you know what I mean? So someone who's deeper than that, I imagine having a real struggle. No, you are definitely, no one's in their right mind. And you have to make a lot of choices, right? And that surprised me. They're like huge choices. They're not like little choices go with, you know, drug A or drug B, because like the doctors have already made those choices. These are like, do you want to have children? Right. So what kind of choices did you have to make? I mean, I knew, I think that was one of them, right? Like that was like, okay, so A, number one. Like that was like the first one over the horizon when you got the diagnosis. Because I am a young woman without kids and I could have kids for you know several more years and so they think about preserving fertility and so the first thing that they do is tell you about the risk factors of going through chemotherapy on your ovaries and on your reproductive chances and then ask you if you want to go through this very invasive fertility process Mm -hmm. and I understand I mean, the choices are the same, but the physical aspect of it is a little more involved for women than for men. So I had to decide right away if I wanted to have kids or not. And if I wanted to have kids, like, how was I going to do that? Was I going to do embryos with my then boyfriend? Or was I going to do eggs, which eggs are less viable long-term than embryos, but embryos belong half to, you know, someone else. Mm-hmm. And it's a very, uh, it's a new, it's a new cutting edge form of law. So I, uh, I ended up getting a contract for embryos. Anyway, it was like a lot uh. of legality and like just craziness. In the midst of trauma. In the midst of trauma. So yeah, I had to make the decision of whether or not I wanted to have kids and who with. I had to make the decision and it seems so silly in retrospect, but right after I got the diagnosis, like you have to cancel your plans for the next six months, right? Yeah, more or less. I mean, so I wanted to go on a cruise with my grandmother 
who it was her <laughs> 88th birthday and everyone in the family, I don't know, two dozen or so. So not even all the family, a dozen and a half maybe. We're going to go on a cruise and I was one of those people because if I can't like run off to the Bahamas to go for a cruise with my grandma, like how am I living my life? Right. Uh, I was going to go even after I got diagnosed with cancer, but with the the treatment I had just had, which was for fertility, I had had a surgery, and they said that I could go on the cruise, but if something were to happen, I would be in the middle of the ocean with, like, no help. I never thought about that, with the cruise being maybe not the greatest place for cancer treatment. Patient. Yeah, because even wow. though... Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Like, there's a doctor on board, but, like, if something really bad goes on, you might be in the Bahamas, or... Yeah, well, or in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Right, or... Right, <laughs> Where they have, like, Band-Aids. They have, like, Band-Aids and maybe a defibrillator. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. They how... don't have an oncologist. And here's the thing, too. Like, having gone through it now, I would totally be like, okay, I'm just going on the cruise. Yeah. Because I've been through it, but when you haven't gone through it, yeah. you don't know what chemotherapy's like and you've got sort of terms of endearment ideas do you know what I mean like you don't know what it's really like and you had seen your mom go through it which was a very different stage of the game as a reference point so like I totally get like not going on it but like I totally get it like and also I don't think you should go honestly I think cruises are really really toxic places when you're immunocompromised I don't think you should be there yeah I don't. I don't think it's well, a good idea. It, it's like a it, big floating cesspool. It dumps a lot of I'm not uh, a cruise oil, fan. oil into the ocean. It's like not. It's oh. really oh, bad. No. It's so like, bad for the environment. You have so no idea. Bad. I have no. I, I mean, I am not a cruise fan. I am no, not. It's like a terrible. Not. But it was grandma. And no, no, but it's grandma's thing. And that's what I get. It's like the heartbreak of having to cancel plans. Yes. And I cancel, so, cancel plans for... Bottom line like six months like cancel all your plans all your free time is going to be cancer related exactly all your vacation time all your sick time all 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 your mental and emotional energy is going to be spent on cancer for the next six months there is a singularity to the pursuit there's a cleanliness to it it's very clean very clean clean. yes yes we're baptized by the cancer fire i also had to decide right away what type of mastectomy I was going to get. Oh, God, that's huge. I mean, because initially I thought I was going to have the choice between a lumpectomy or a mastectomy. Mm-hmm. The beginning of chemotherapy, I thought there was a choice between a lumpectomy and a mastectomy. And mm-hmm. um, all of the doctors I had talked to, there seemed to be a choice. But at the end of chemotherapy, when we looked at how much the mass had shrunk, I thought that there was going to be a choice to have a lumpectomy or a mastectomy. And my breast surgeon was like, oh, there was never a choice. And I'm like, there was never a choice? She's like, no, your mass was too big. And I'm like, oh, well, I thought all this time that there was a choice. And I remember after that appointment going to... It's okay. So it wasn't even, like, I wasn't sad about having a mastectomy or not having a mastectomy. I was sad about thinking I had had a choice all of this time and then learning that I didn't have a choice. 
Right. That I had never had a choice. So and I you'd struggled with for, it. Yeah. And it was never really an option. To I me. was hoping for a future that didn't even, it oh. wasn't even a possibility. Oh, that's hard. So that was, that was like right after that happened. And it wasn't even like a bad appointment. But right after that, I like sat in a restaurant, Saloniki's in the Fenway. Yeah. And I sat and I cried for like an hour and a half and talked to my brother and his wife. Yeah. About how awful this whole thing was. I really feel like that's... I made a lot of people uncomfortable that night, I'm sure. You know, I really think it's important what this group is doing to have doctors talk more about empathy and the patient experience. And I know it's still very abstract for them, but like, I just don't think they touch into this enough and they don't understand enough about how their little teeny weeny missteps for them, for us, make a world of difference and create a lot of like unnecessary heartache sometimes um but they really are trying i know i know they're really trying i know and that's why that group is so important because they're really trying and it's all about like how they can um recognize their own emotions in a situation so that they can best help a patient right with their emotions right right that's an amazing powerful thing Oh, but yeah, that was, it was hard to think I had a choice and then not have a choice, even though I still had a choice because I had to decide if I wanted a single mastectomy or a double mastectomy. It's such a video game. Because your, both of our breast cancers started in one breast, right? Yeah. We had only one breast that was involved. Correct. Um, For all we knew, we only have one breast that's ever going to be involved. Like you didn't have, there's some cancers that if you get it in one side, you're definitely, definitely going to get it in the other. So, right. So here I can talk about my experience. So it's very interesting. So my experience, I backed into it the exact opposite way that you did. So they looked at my prognosis right from the get go. And the first thing I was told is, okay, you're going to get genetic testing and we think you're going to test positive for BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation. They just laid that out and they said, you need to prepare for bilateral mastectomy, minimum, minimum mastectomy unilateral but definitely we think bilateral and probably you need to prepare to get your uterus ovaries you need to prepare for a hysterectomy because we think you're going to test positive so prepare for that and I sort of looked at it and I was like you know holy shit and okay you know all right and I was ready and I was like I always knew I was Jewish I just always knew you know what I mean? I was like, I always knew. I was just like, okay. I mean, wouldn't you always know your ethnicity? No, not when you're Eastern European, German, like, and World War II happened. Like, some people hid their ethnicity. You know what I mean? So I was just, I just oh. thought, I was like, oh, here we go. Because that typically shows up in, like, you know, Ashkenazi Jews and whatnot. <laughs> and so I just thought, I was like, I totally know this is going to test positive. So it didn't. I didn't. I didn't test positive for any genetic testing that they currently have. Oh I'll- my god, and I totally thought that I was going to test positive for BRCA1 or 2. Not because the doctors told me that, but because my mother had my mother died of breast cancer when she was 46 years old. Mm-hmm. She died of breast cancer when she was right. 46, and I got diagnosed with 
breast cancer when I'm 33. Right. You, so you just thought, like, right, obviously. Like, but obviously just, there's a genetic link. I think there is obviously a genetic link. We just haven't identified it yet. I mean, they tested me for a plethora of gene mutations, as they did you, but they don't quite have the results yet of the studies from so many of the genes that they tested us for. Well, they tested us for, you know... A pretty wide panel. But, like, 80, right? Right. Like, the, 80 genes at most. Most of which are inconclusive right now and for correlation. To give you a scale, we have something like four billion gazillion genes. Right, but there is a lot of research being focused on this. And anyway, so I did not have that. So I did have Herchinoia positive breast cancer. And I got on a neoadjuvant therapy that was a trial medication. Which is like chemotherapy before cancer surgery. Okay. This melted away my cancer. I could literally feel it leaving. I felt my cancer growing and I felt it leaving. It was amazing. During that time, I had lots of personal experiences that led me to believe that women with hertunoia breast cancer should get both breasts removed. I just became very clear about it. Like, you know what? I've heard too many cases where someone gets a lumpectomy and it comes back. So in the midst of this, while students are coming in and feeling my breasts and they can't feel the cancer, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm offered a lumpectomy. Oh. Uh Uh-huh. And lab rat said, no. We're going to cut this shit off. Because I was just like, I get that it would be really interesting to see how far we could push this. I get it scientifically. This would be awesome. Mm-hmm. No, we're taking this off. Because I really did. go with what works. And my feeling was that if we've got two factories that have the capacity to produce bombs, and one is producing mm-hmm. bombs and one yet hasn't produced bombs, let's take them both off. <laughs> and... You know, at that point, we still hadn't done the testing in the lymph nodes. We didn't know if it had spread or not. It turned out that it had gotten completely removed from the body with the... Um, so then, so then the next choice, so then now we're into the next choice, which was, do you do adjuvant therapy? So I didn't lose any of my hair. I was able to practice Bikram. I got through the surgery, all of that. Now, the thing is this, do you have any stem cells in your body? Well, who knows? It's a trial medication. We don't know. Are you going to do Taxol for 12 weeks, which is going to cause you to lose your hair and bring you to the brink of death? Are you going to do Herceptin for another practically year after this? It, It was just like, oh, my God, I still have to keep down here in hell. It just felt like Persephone is being held. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I just I felt like shit. And I had to make the choice. And you have to, like, make the choice to feel like shit. Right. And I also had the advantage of having a dad who was over in Germany. And I knew that if I was in Germany, I would have gotten even more treatment. I would have gotten AC treatment on top of everything else. I had AC and Texel. I know. I would have gotten... So in addition to the new treatment, the trial treatment, I would have gotten AC on top of it all in the German cocktail state of the art so that was interesting to know because i was like okay i mean i like what's in the water over in germany sure but i want to be whatever germany wants to make of me okay but here's 
this is a segue, but I think it's an important segue. You can have a healthcare system like that that's very, very treating if they treat you and they take care of you. We don't have the kind of social insurance that they have. So when we lose our job, we lose our job. Here in America, we have to get back to work. And that was a real concern of mine. And that was something that informed my choices, too. Yeah, we do have to get back to work. Right. It informed my choices. And that informs our choices as Americans in a way it doesn't in places like Canada or Germany, where there's more universal health care. And so we always have to temper our comparisons with what we actually have to get back to do in our rather brutal society, which does not accept people being ill or disabled. Even if you have a job that you could do from your bed, like a lot of times you have uh, bosses or companies that won't let you. It's also really difficult to work when you're truly ill. I oh, think, yeah, 100%. I think a lot of people have a concept of what being ill means because they have days that they don't feel well, not days oh, that they're yeah, going no. through chemotherapy. I mean, I mean and you have a lot of, um, you have a lot of time that you just can't even feel well. I mean, I had diarrhea for a year and a half. Like, I don't know what to say about that. Like, and it wasn't like this kind of diarrhea of like, I don't feel well. <laughs> it wasn't the glamorous <laughs> diarrhea. <laughs> really the bad of the was, comedy movies not at all it was like the diarrhea it wasn't of, like a sweet anecdote that you're gonna tell at like, dinner parties not a good situation <laughs> so like very interrupting and that was part of the really big choice you know and so I knew I was gonna undermine my health to a certain degree by doing that medication but I also knew I needed to purgate that cancer and I looked at the stats and then well, and you have to weigh your chances right right and then another choice that I made to was not to do steroids. I determined that really early on. My first treatment of steroids, I just said no. And it was the first time I said no to something. And I could not believe they responded. They were like, okay, we'll take the steroids out of your cocktail. I was like, huh, what? I didn't know that you could say no to steroids. Right? Yes. And so I'm guessing there's a lot of things you can say no to and that you should question if they don't suit you. And like when I said no to Oxy, when it didn't suit me and they gave me this tramadol, you know what I mean? So just different stuff. So um, that was interesting. And then I also, I was... um, under great scrutiny about radiation and I have a wonky heart and so I ultimately said no to radiation too it was an option I could have taken it it would have been covered and blessed I tried to make radiation optional yeah but I think that radiation radiation was not an option for me I did I did do a lot of research yeah into my chances and the chemotherapy for me was not as successful right. as they wanted it to be. Right. And I had to get a vasectomy, so I really wanted to not have to do radiation. Right. So I tried to find every reason to not have to do radiation. It must have been a really hard choice. I struggled with it a little bit, but I I have a heart condition, so my heart is backwards and on the opposite side. So it made the choice easy. And in the end, Leanna, that's like what I wanted. In the end, it was like almost like I don't even care what's right, but is the choice easy? Do you know what I mean? The choice is easy. Like, or no, I'm not saying it right. Like, I don't even care if it's hard. 
But if the choice is necessary and easy to make, I'll do it. Okay. Like I'll just do it. And having the heart do whatever you need to do to get it over with. Right. And I don't think that I was someone who should have really contemplated doing radiation even without the heart condition, but the heart condition was just like, okay, you know what? I'm out. Yeah. And it was so nice to have that. And I really, because I think it's really hard and I think I really would have struggled in your position. But I also think in your position, knowing what I know, you did the right thing by doing radiation. I mean, I do think I did the right thing by doing radiation. Like, I feel a lot better about if I get cancer again, that I did everything I could. Although having, because I chose to have a single mastectomy instead of a double. right? And in some ways... Like, I fear cancer coming back more than you have to. I guess. I like, mean, if I, the stem not, cells are out there, they're out there. Right. Do you know well, what I mean? But I'm, I get not, it. I get I'm what you're saying. saying. That you yeah. don't have any fear of getting right. cancer again. But, like, I made the choice to not do everything I could. So let's say this. I created a mental construct that allows me to say, I've done everything I can. Right. And there's a... There's a um, there's a creature comfort in that, but I think it's false. I, th- I think it's kind of bullshit, but it we is We never comfort. really do everything we can. <laughs> you know, so, here, so here's like, this is, I guess I'm going to move into the protocol and say, <laughs> this is the video game where you have to make a million different friggin' choices. And in the end, if you make the wrong choices, you might die. And if you just decide to check out, you really might die. So you have to like really check in? You got, I think you do have to check in. I think you have to manage it like you'd manage other things in your life. So if you manage best by writing down appointments, if you manage mm-hmm. best by like getting a getting an advocate, getting a friend in the room with you, if you manage best by you know, like you really have to strategize. So I remembering I just wanna like share a story that's just coming up for me because it just I think illustrates how different people are and I don't know what's right and what's wrong okay so when I went to our support group I remember talking to a gal who had the exact same diagnosis as me and I just very bluntly said to her because this was news I'd had for I don't know nine months at this time well, you know, we've really got to keep it on the straight and narrow because, you know, we have a 33% chance of getting brain cancer at this point. And she was like, I mean, I just saw, she was like, what are you talking about? You know, I mean, she was shocked. She had not done the same None research that you did. Had She had no idea. None. Did you, like, go that around is, popping way, someone else's comforting bubble? I mean, that's 33% of getting brain cancer in three years. And it is a hard fact. And I, you know, I was telling her the story that I was talking to her at the moment about how I tempered my statistics that I studied online by the fact that there's new medications that we're privy to and that these stats aren't necessarily reflective of our chances. Right. And I reflected on that, just assuming that she had come across that. And in fact, she had not. 
And I recalled in that moment, like, okay, some people can't handle all information. And I do really think that, like, you need to find the information the way you need to find it. And maybe you need to assign someone who is like me, <laughs> who you really trust. Like, maybe your husband or your spouse or your partner or your, your mother or your father or whoever, someone in your life. Yeah. A friend. Who, who is also, like, not going to freak out about this. Who and geeks not, out. Like, who geeks out. Who doesn't freak out. Well, and is going to go about it in a very, like, thoughtful full way like looking at different looking at like the friend that doesn't post conspiracy theories about Obama well, and maybe on you rely Facebook. on your, your doctor too I mean some people are just going to rely on their doctors and that's fine too like so everyone's going to have a different way I needed to know that information and I needed to do that and I think if you're that person don't let people say like oh don't go to Dr. Google it's bad oh, no yeah. go to Dr. Google there's so much information there or and if you don't want to go to Google at all don't Google. I needed it to confirm yeah. what the doctors were telling me and to confirm for myself that I was making the right choices. I right. needed to do the research. That's how I'm built. Right. I needed to do the research to say, I need, not only that, I needed to ask my dad to help me. And he did, thank God. And he's built like this too, of course. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And he was like, well, we're going to find out what they're going to do in Germany for protocol and we'll compare it and like, we'll just see, you know. And isn't your dad like a doctor? Yeah. Yeah. But he's an orthopedic but he okay. got in touch with people who were oncologists. Right. So, yeah. And then he talked to my doctor about that, you know, and we just, we did a comparative analysis and it was like, okay, she's not doing AC here. And I was like, no, that's good. <laughs> you really did geek out on it. Well, not too much, but this, this is really life work. Like, yeah, this is the game that will kill you in the end if you don't make the right choices. Well, and better. In my opinion, I geek out. That's how I survive. Yeah. No, right. I mean, I, I do the same thing. I did a lot of research. Like, I did way more research than, like, I'm reading the scientific article, journal articles that do, like, meta-analyses right. of other journal articles. Right, right. Like, um, For your particular type of cancer. Like, yes, that is... Yes, And there's a... That's the thing. Is like, I dove deep, too. Yeah. And I don't think everyone does or wants to. And that's fine, too. But I think the thing is this, feel comfortable in your choices, feel comfortable in your strategy, feel comfortable in what you decide to do, no matter how that is. And my way was getting more data and your way may be getting less data and just relying, your may way be praying to God and that is completely fine too. Oh yeah. Completely. I, whenever anyone told me that they were praying for me, um, because I'm in an ex-Mormon community, and in the ex-Mormon community, whenever anyone says that they're praying for you, it's like a passive-aggressive way to be like, you're making the wrong choices about God, I'll pray for you. Oh, no! <laughs> so, now, these people, whenever anyone says, I'll pray for you, have a really hard time not being like, fuck you! Don't pray for me. Um, so when, but I, sure. but I have moved beyond that. So when people and I had, when I had cancer and people were like, oh, I'll pray for you. I would just say, I will take all the prayers I can get. Yeah. Like if there are yeah. prayers that are going to help me. Yeah. Bring them on. Yeah. I'll take them. Yeah. But I think that an important protocol to keep in mind is that we all feel lost in the woods. Yeah. Like, we all 
so many choices and trauma are making it up kind of as we go along because we're all just doing the best we can with what we have and what we know at the time right it's a lot of what you have at the time too the timing is so uh, you know I just saw Bohemian Rhapsody and just reflecting on how far we've come with AIDS yeah Freddie Mercury wouldn't have died you know like he would not have died and it's just like you just think about the timing of things do you know what I mean and I was also meeting with a friend whose mom had died of pancreatic cancer and her mom not might not die in 30 years you know but right yeah. now like someone with a diagnosis does die and um, not as quickly as they used to and and we're alive now and your mom didn't make it through my grandma didn't make it through you know yeah. my dad's side and it's just, uh, you know, it is timing. A lot of it's timing. A lot of it is timing. And choices. It's timing and choices. It's macro choices and micro choices. Well, and I think a lot about how much I had a choice or didn't have a choice with things like it's hard not to go down the what might have been. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. How do you stay out of the what might have been? Like, I don't, that's, like, if I get cancer again, what could I have done to prevent this? Yes. Yeah, that's, it keeps me on the straight and narrow. I mean. Well, it keeps me up at night. Mm-hmm, me too. Me too. I have this fine line of, am I working too much? Am I working too little? Am I working too much? Am I working too little? Like, am I am I sleeping enough? Am I, you know, am I balancing it? And it always feels to come back on me, too, that I'm somehow controlling it. But in the end, it's kind of bullshit, and you and I both know it deep down inside. Well, Our oncogenes had... are the problem macro. So my mantra during this time, and my mantra was this because of work initially, was I did... I made the best choice I could with the information that I had, or I did the best I could with the information that I had. And that became my cancer mantra. Mm -hmm. Like, I did the best I could with the information I had. Right. And with your goals at the time. I mean, Mm -hmm. so one of the things I don't think we addressed when we spoke earlier about my choice to get a bilateral mastectomy versus your choice to get a singular mastectomy is the fact that I was older than you and had already pretty much decided that I didn't want kids. This was barely a discussion with me and my doctors. Because for me to say I'm holding on to my other breast to breastfeed would be slightly delusional and strange. Right. Do you know what I mean? Whereas for you and your age and your desires, I think it, it made, made perfect a lot sense. Of sense. Right. It makes perfect sense. So it's really you have to meet all of these things out and decide right. where do I make the cut? Well, and literally. It's, it's really hard literally. to know what that balance is. Also, you were making that decision under hormonal duress because you were oh. going through hormonal treatments. Oh my God. That I is was disturbing. Basically I was basically pregnant. Right. Which is, I'm sorry, a form of psychosis. <laughs> I felt like a lunatic. Very I was difficult. And I couldn't have. It seems. I couldn't have I don't caffeine. Know. 
Right, there was all, and also you had cancer. It wasn't like you had a joyful bundle that was arriving from the stork. I mean, you were like harvesting your eggs because you had cancer. I mean, how stressful oh can God. that possibly be? It, it just sounds like a freaking nightmare. I had to with a needle twice a day. Right, not good. <laughs> not good. And so I don't know like that you can ever look back and say, I made the right choice. You can just say like, I survived. Well, I would, I survived. Say, I would say that you need to come to a place of acceptance where you articulate that like I did the best I could with the information that I had Mm -hmm. because otherwise you'll sublimate like it's unresolved angst I feel I feel that you'll take it on and just say that's how I feel about it like you, yeah. you'll you take it if you don't if you don't find a way of processing it you're going to take it on as some sort of guilt perhaps or shame perhaps and I would just say really be aware of that I think that's a real tendency that I find I just find myself going towards the rocks like with like I'm being pushed by a current towards some rocks and I'm just like okay I've got to always sort of steer away from that because I know the tendency is to go towards that but I've got to just recognize I can do what I can do and I, you know, look at, I don't think I would have a bunch of broccoli sprouts in my refrigerator right now and make smoothies with them, which are not that tasty. I if, mean, don't you have a bunch of healthy stuff in your fridge right now? Right. But you want to know why I do that? It's so I feel like I'm doing the right thing. I don't, I don't know how much this actually does, to be completely honest. Like, I think it does quite a bit in some ways. Like, I think it moves the dial maybe though. And honestly, five points. Yeah. Maybe 10 points. But the thing is, we're all working in degrees because honestly, like maybe that's how much the chemo or the radiation moves the dial to. Well, my Uber so. driver tonight, he said that everyone has destiny. Oh, God. Can't fight with destiny. Enough with the Uber driver conversations. I'm so, you know how I feel about Uber. Okay, no more hard, Uber. Hard stuff. We were never, never getting sponsorship from Uber. Okay, you can edit that out. <laughs> Um, we don't have any sponsorship. No one ever gets sponsorship from Uber. So I think it's really hard to go into the choice, making the choice that I'm going to take this poison because it's good for me. I think you really have to learn how to sublimate your animal instincts to do that. I think you have to do this. And I do think that it's something that doctors need to look at with people who aren't able to be at that level of development where you're able to sublimate because that's a very high level of development where you can say, okay, this thing that's making my hair fall out and my fingernails fall out and giving me sores everywhere and really honestly killing me, I need to go back for six more treatments. That sounds great. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to go broke in the process and I can't work oh while my that's God. going on. You're fight or flight the whole time. Well, you were on steroids too. That increases that. And yes, you basically feel like the last place you want to go is back to the poison that's making you feel ill. <laughs> and you do it every week. And you have to have this level of consciousness of like stop yourself from trying to run away. Yeah, that's that's hard. I found it very hard to muster. And I'm a gal who, like we were talking about earlier, who always tests well. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I, I try we're, hard and test good, well. and good instruction followers. Sure. I, I, I've tried to do the right things. I mean, <laughs> so much about how it's, you know, whatever. But, like, I've tried to always do the right things. And, um, and that's all you can do is figure out what the right thing for you is. 
and do it. And tweak it the way that you will. And, and, you know, I also think, I do think don't be afraid of research. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. But find your right research. Like, maybe it's not going online. Maybe it's reading books. Maybe, maybe it's, it's talking, talking to, to people. Right. I was about to say talking to doctors. You know, talking to your friends. Having mm-hmm. your friends talk to doctors. Have, I don't know. But, um finding some way of getting information that's palatable to you is what I would well, suggest. and information that is not you know, my brother's girlfriend's sister's aunt heard from this person that maybe. Correct. Like, you don't want that kind of information. You want No. You want, like, primary Research sources. studies yes. is what we're talking about. I mean, or or we're talking about ideas that are going through trial tests now or like talking to other cancer patients about what worked for them sure but but really trying to be very studious about this and recognizing this is not the time for experimentation in a way that's zany it's a time for experimentation in a way that's grounded and rooted hopefully in some scientific evidence and if you do have questions always checking with your doctors but you know, I do think you are going to be surprised if you've just been diagnosed with how many choices you have to make. I was shocked, actually. I really did not see this coming, all the choices. Oh, my God. Well, and it's it's life-altering decisions that you have to make. Correct. All on top of Quick one another. Step. Quick step. Without, like, thinking through all of the implications. You just have to do it. You just have to... Like, time is marching forward. You just have to do it. Yeah. And so that's why I say get your information, dive deep. If you can take time off, take time off. Yeah. You know, take time off because you have a lot of information to absorb. It becomes a very, it can be a very full, it can be a more than full-time job. So just, you know, taking care of yeah. yourself, taking care of other people if you have to, and taking care of these decisions, it's a big deal. So Well, and like taking care of yourself in a way that you're writing, you're going to support groups, you're, you're you're nurturing yourself you're nurturing yourself you're like going on long walks you're spending time with your loved ones spending time with your loved ones it's a horrible when you're you're making all these choices you're usually in this point of diagnosis where you really don't know how things are going to turn out the first round of decisions so you don't know it's a dark scary time if it's worth it yeah you're just like how much time do I have do you know what I mean you really are in that life or death moment and that's what makes some of this so hard and that's why I found so much solace in going into the research because I felt like I could always temper that research but it helped me inform my choices so now in hindsight I'm really quite pleased with the choices I made like I am pleased with all the choices I made I feel like I made you know I I do feel like I made good choices I sometimes do I sometimes look back and wonder if I really, really needed the Taxol. But then I think about brain cancer, and I'm glad I have it. I mean, brain cancer... No joke. No joke. No joke. So, yeah, let's knock on wood. Okay. Thanks, cancer. (laughs) Thanks, cancer. That was our episode. Thanks for listening to Thanks Cancer. If you guys enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would give us a review on iTunes or Google Play. And you can find us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook at Thanks Cancer. And please, we'd love to hear from you your stories. Your protocols. Exactly. Advice that you have to share with the community. So send us your audio files at info at thanks cancer.com. 
traffic stopped you lay on the horn and you ask yourself where is my cancer unicorn but we're at the gate with your cancer card we're your passport date cause cancer's damn hard oh thanks cancer thanks cancer Victories in the dark.